The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, um, I, I, I didn't think I, I'd ever end up saying this, but I'm sure you didn't feel that you would be saying it either, that you are, you are now officially a hip-hop star. <laughs> My, Mullins the hip... I, I, I thought maybe you'd have a, a, a country hit or something, but not hip-hop. DJ Master Country Boyo. <laughs> That's not what you call yourself, is it? <laughs> Oh, oh. I, have you got yourself? Um, I, I don't know. All hip hop stars obviously have to have an entourage. Have you got an entourage? <laughs> yeah, I got uh, a little smelly dog. I got a little <laughs> okay, smelly boy. Good. Well, tick, hang on, tick that off the list. Um, ha, ha, are you wearing a? Um, uh, this is a little bit cliche. I, I apologise in advance, but, but why not? Uh, have you got lots of danglies? Oh, jewelry? I've got far more danglies than I had fifteen months ago. That's yeah. for sure. Well, okay, yeah. that's <laughs> well, that's more to do with COVID diet, I suppose. When's your tour? <laughs> Whenever Boris Johnson gets his <laughs> thumb out of his ass. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a prerequisite for launching your, your tour. So go on, for those thinking, what on earth are these two clowns talking about? You are actually number 11 in, in some hip-hop chart somewhere, <laughs> somewhere, aren't you? That's true. Well, I, I'm the, uh, well, kind of, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's even ridiculous talking about this. Absolutely stupid. But uh, yeah, so I did a, I stood in for another DJ on the, on the radio station. Yeah. And it was a Friday night show, so I thought, well, it's not going to cut it if I play like Nancy Griffiths and Dolly Parton. <laughs> Probably not. So I did a, uh, I did a, uh, and I do love this music, by the yeah. way. This is my kind of, you know, I do listen to this a lot. So I did a, a hip hop and rap kind of mix, yeah. and it was a whole mix. It was just a mix. I did it all on the, you know, on the desk, and uh, and yeah, he's <laughs> got the number eleven in the mix code oh. hip hop chart, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's you know. Mixed cloud. I don't think it has a huge amount of uh, listeners. Oh, no, don't stuff, do it down, Kev. You are number 11, and that's what counts. It really the does. The Fujicast. We, this should have a... That's not really hip-hop, is it? Actually, I've DJ got Kevin, the room. DJ. <laughs> yeah, that's the next thing you need to say. You need, you need to always preface, DJ Kevin, DJ Kevin, whenever you go to say something now. Uh, well, well done. I think I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I've, um, I enjoyed it. I have to say. Yeah. But do you think it's going to be a regular Friday thing? You know yeah, what I they say when, when people go on on holiday in Radio Land, they, they always, they're a little bit fearful that the, the next guy that comes in does a much better job. And I bet you the guy before you is not number eleven in the hip hop charts. Oh no, he's absolutely brilliant. And bless him, he was in bed with COVID. Oh, he won oh on holiday. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Well, hopefully he'll be back to... Well, maybe he'll take over your country show. And, and <laughs> oh, don't do it. <laughs> country takeover. Anyway, welcome to the Fujicast. You and your questions from our electronic mailbag and, of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're very welcome to become a part of. If you'd like to send a mail through, send a click at fujicast.co.uk. If you are not a Fujifilm shooter, do not worry. It's a big old community. Whatever flavour you shoot, you're very welcome here. Um, Kev's book of the week this week. What do we have, Kev? Oh, hang on. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. It's a big one. Yeah. It's a big one. I'm ready. This is The World Atlas of oh. Street Photography. The World Atlas of Street Photography. Correct. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't I, seen any pictures of maps in it, though. No. <laughs> Don't use that kind of book. And uh, Michael Beecham is our guest, who is um, a supporter of the show. And, and I went down to, now I've got to get this right, Gillingham. Well, initially I called it Gillingham. but oh, Gill- not Gillingham in Dorset. Yeah. You didn't call it Gillingham. I did, yeah. And I, I, I called it that And one of the links on the uh, Photography um, Daily podcast on the Friday Photo Walk before I got to him. And he said, don't call it Gillingham. It's Gill- Well, he wasn't quite that bad. It's Gillingham. 
Yeah. I know that now. Welcome back there, I tell you. Yeah, but uh, it's sort of the language thing, Kev. I mean, G is a Gillingham, and it's kind of known to be a Gillingham, so then then they change it to Gillingham. I would imagine it's in the the Gillingham Facebook group right now. Man from out of town (laughs) says Gillingham. I shouldn't. Ten thousand th- comments, I loads sh- of loads of angry emojis. <laughs> I shouldn't think they gave a a hoot, but I now know it's Gillingham, and of course you cancel. All these letters are interchangeable, Kev, aren't they? I mean, it's not Gulliver's tra- travels; it's Gulliver's travels. Correct. The English language, eh? There's got to be easier languages to learn. Right, shall we start with questions? You're going to go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Facebook group, of course. Thank you for your continued uh, question posting, people. Uh, I will start with the last one, as I always do, or the latest one, I should say, not the last one, because there will be more, won't there? Won't there? Won't there? I hope so. Uh, Daryl Walters. I thought, says, going, I, thought, I thought you were going into a bit of a DJ Kevin. DJ Kevin, then. <laughs> Stop it. Go on. Uh, Hi, guys. Uh, Hi, guys. Uh, So this is from Daryl Walters. Hi, guys. Question, please. Interesting to know what is happening here. I've had X100V and I edit in Snapseed on the iPad Pro. It seems that when I import a RAW file from the Photos app to Snapseed, uh, when you see the RAW file in Photos, it is in color. But then when you open it in Snapseed, the film simulation is applied as if by magic. It's great. I like it as it seems like I have the file quality of the simulation to edit from. Is this a normal thing or something weird happening here? Thank you. Love the show, by the way. Hmm. With a with a thumbs up emoji. Do you use Snapseed? Not for a long, long time. No, me neither. I don't have an iPad Pro. I don't have Snapseed, and I don't have Apple Photos. However, what I would say so. Good is, luck with this one, Kev. <laughs> yeah, what I would say is it's it's looking like you know your Photos app is is seeing the raw file, which obviously will always be in color. And that's 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 the nature of raw. And your Snapseed app is seeing the film simulation. There must be, I would assume a setting in uh, Snapseed or perhaps so one of two things might be happening perhaps you're shooting RAW plus JPEG and Snapseed is bringing in the JPEGs rather than the RAW files perhaps don't know for sure but perhaps or there might be a setting in Snapseed uh, such as you know apply camera settings on mm. import or something something similar to that uh, that's my best guess yeah well it's got to be one of those two things really yeah. well just embrace it I mean he says he likes it yeah Hope it never changes. There we go. Okay, was Alexander. Following W-O-Z, was. Is that short for William or something, was? Warren. Warren, Warren. Warren. Is it Warren? Okay, was. Was Alexander. All right, was that? Following on from your comment... Well, I don't know. Was is kind of like a. Why don't we? Up, why don't we upset him even more, even further? What do you call a fellow with a rabbit on his head? I don't know. Warren. <laughs> okay. You started it. Oh dear. Following on from your comment last week, do you see a future in doing destination work in Europe? I've been seeing a, a lot of coverage about how Brexit is impacting to Brexit. Sorry, I get a teeth right. Uh, Brexit is impacting touring musicians, but I've not seen if this affects photographers. I presume we'd have the same carnet issues around our equipment. Does this effectively rule out destination wedding work in the EU? Carnet is something that in the very early days, all you said to me, Kev, was carnet, carnet. I thought, is there another word Kev can use? But you are right. I mean, that's going to be an issue, isn't it? Carnet, carnage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, yeah, destination weddings in Europe are, are no longer a thing. I've turned away quite a few inquiries. And I do get, I do get a reasonable amount of inquiries for, for France because I've done quite a few weddings there, so you yeah. know, I've got quite a good kind of um, SEO presence in that world. A couple of weeks ago, Kev, you were you were firing round um, 
opportunities to, to to work in Europe within our within our, within our, our little collective. And I was thinking, my God, Kev's getting more more inquiries for Europe than he's getting for the UK. Yeah, some weeks it happens like that. Yeah, uh, yeah it does. But but yes, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not entertaining it until everything is sorted out. And I don't think it will. I mean, if if they take the same attitude, if Europe take the same attitude as the uh, as America, which they are absolutely within their rights to do so and and actually protects their own workers so it makes sense then uh, you know you'll have to fight for a visa to go and work there and you'll have to do the carny thing which will be very expensive so in my mind probably for now it's uh it's a a done deal that i'm not going to be doing destination Mm. weddings in europe and i will i'll caveat that with a big fat asterisk that says legally because I, i won't do it illegally um, and so I think there's, I've seen quite a lot of stuff on Facebook already, you know, oh, just say you're going on holiday, be fine. Yeah, yeah. You know. Like, now, yeah. I bu- I've, I've got um, two um, booked weddings that were booked um, b- before all the carne carnage thing started to, uh, and which would have been done had we, had we not obviously had this, uh, this pandemic over the last 18 months. But so I, I still have those to do now. And I know, I know one of them is a listener to this show. So I'm, I'm, I'm tiptoeing carefully through the tulips on this one. Although it's not, it's not, that wasn't a clue to, to it being in Holland. Well, I mean, it's really difficult because there's, there's an argument to say that, you know, why, why, if somebody booked you, say, two years ago, before uh, we even voted for this ridiculous exit thing... Well, that was thing, more than two years. That was, that was uh, what, four or five years ago now, wasn't it? Well, OK, but anyway, so they booked before anybody knew what was going to happen yeah. with the, uh, you know, with the Brexit stuff. With the arrangement, yeah. Yeah, with the arrangement. And so, you know, what are you meant to do? You're meant to say, well, I'm really sorry, I can't do it, which, of course, is not right. It, it, it's not morally, it's not right. E- economically, it's not going to be good. No. So, actually, Kev, I want to go and do them because I love the countries. Yeah, of course. And then, but on the flip side, you know, you've got um, uh, the Europeans who will probably, quite right in their point of view, say, well, actually, you voted for it. You know, no, I didn't. No, well, I know you didn't personally, neither did I, but, you know, enough of the country did. And so, you know. What are you going to do? Uh, I suspect there's, um, as as there has been with all of this stuff so mm. far, there's there's been quite a lot of leniency, I believe. Yeah. Um, and at some point, at some point... The adults will turn up. Uh, yeah, at some point, the adults, when they've stopped having affairs with the <laughs> and, you know, going Kev. to let in two and a half thousand VIPs Kev. into Wembley and all that kind of Kev. stuff... They they will uh, yeah they will sit down round a table socially distanced probably because I don't think we're ever going to get out of this f-ing mess then um, they will sort it out but Kev, yeah, I, we I, do I, need I, the adults to turn up you're I, quite right get I rid of the idiots I don't think we're going to be socially distanced forever Kev by the way well we will if we keep this lot in power making the decisions <laughs> anyway that's enough from politics cast for this week <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well do you know what I, I a friend of mine. Uh, died during the pandemic, not because of the no, pandemic, but died during the pandemic. Terrible, yeah. And I couldn't go to the funeral. No, I know. And it was the same day, the same day that I'm not going to say his name in case we get in trouble. I'll bleep it, Kev. Just say the name and I'll bleep it. I promise. Well, well you know what I mean. Our, our beloved <laughs> was busy putting his hands where he shouldn't be putting his hands. Uh, on Saturday, I never, I never thought I would use a politician's name as an excuse. <laughs> with a registrar but i met the i went to the the wedding venue and you know you're granted the audience with the with a registrar beforehand because they want to lay out all the all the rules for you yeah and mm-hmm. i try generally i try to avoid registrars and i try to avoid um 
well, not always Vickers, but because it, it's good to sort of go and press the flesh and say hello, pardon the expression, in the church. Uh, but I, I generally try and avoid the vergers because they're... <laughs> been, a lot of, been a lot of flesh pressing going on by our, our politicians. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 being very, I'm, I'm not being very cautious, am I? But I went to... The, I was summoned to the room to go and talk to the registrar to receive the thou, thou shalt nots. And I thought, well, in these COVID times, I suppose, really, yeah, I, I, I get why you'd want to talk. This registrar said to me, you have to sit down during the whole, during the whole uh, ceremony. Um, I will sit there and you can sit there and the bride and groom will be standing just before us. And I, I said a couple of things. I said, well, number one, are they wearing masks? No, they're not. No, I know they're not wearing masks. So why would I want to be sitting below them as they're talking outwardly towards us? Mm-hmm. I thought, there we go. There's, there's not a lot of sense in that, but I let that one fly a little bit. Um, and, and the registrar said, no, I can't. These are the rules. These, these are the rules. We have to do what the rules said. Uh, and <laughs> then I found myself saying, well, can I just say two words? The registrar said, what? And I said, Matt Hancock. <laughs> mm. And I smiled through my mask. So um, did you have to sit down? Yeah. <laughs> but I did sort of, I, ro- I rose up uh, at some particular moments because I didn't want to give the bride and groom up your nostrils shots for their most important photographs from that part of the day. Did I really? Why would you want to do that? I didn't think there was an awful lot of thought in having to sit down in front of two people standing up, knowing how gravity works. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. That didn't make any sense. No. You know, we do still. You know, I'm a strong believer that we still need to do the right things to, you know, to to help and make this thing go away as much as possible. I had my second jab last week. Yeah. Um. You know, but but at the same time, it has to be sensible, doesn't it? Come on. And if it ain't sensible, the people who are making these nonsensical decisions shouldn't be and all that kind of stuff while they're meant to be saving the world. Kev, you've given me an awful lot of uh, stuff to do with the bleep machine this week. <laughs> you're, well, doing, you're doing this on purpose now. It boiled my c***s, <laughs> I have to say. Kev! <laughs> I could go on. I'm No, please don't. I'm going to give you my best Gemma look. There we go. <laughs> right, your question. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Back to planet Earth. Thanks, Woz, for your question. <laughs> did we actually did we actually I don't know if we answered the question oh yeah we did kind of do you see a future yes I think yep. there is a future in destination I do actually I, I believe that at some stage people are going to say look okay we, we need to come to some arrangements um, uh, but we don't have an arrangement with the United States in that sense you can't go you can't no, just go true, and photograph no. a wedding in the no, states without getting or, a visa and all that Canada, kind of stuff or Canada so. or Australia and yeah, I know Australia, that there are that. A, a lots of photographers that think they can just jet off to the Caribbean and do them yeah. officially speaking not really no but you could also take the <laughs> approach and mm-hmm. just say out <laughs> of it <laughs> Anyway, next question is from Stephen Hanna. Uh, he says... Do you need... Uh, I've, I've got 10 mil of Ramapril here, if you'd like some. <laughs> I've been up since half past four as well. I, I'm not in a good good frame of mind. I can tell. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, what, what are your views on editing weddings on an iPad? I'm a Capture One user, and with the latest announcement about an iPad version on the cards 
for 2022, I'm wondering, could I incorporate an iPad into my editing workflow? Into your workflow, Boom. yeah. Well, why not? I, I tell you what, I, I love the look of the Pro. I haven't got the Pro, but the iPad Pro, God, I think I could use that. A lot. Of, I know I know quite a few, um, having talked to them, um, photojournalists who now use that religiously within their, um, within their workflow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't have, uh, as we just mentioned in the previous thing, I, um, I don't have any kind of Apple stuff. But saying that... Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If if professionals are using it, then why not? You can do it too. Yeah. Uh, my per- my own personal take, if it was me, I mean, I've got a, a fairly high-end um, Android device, yeah. some kind of Galaxy Samsung thing or whatever it's called. And that also has, you can run Lightroom on there, um, and it's very, very good. Would I, I find it quite cumbersome to edit a whole wedding on there, even using the pencil and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, it just doesn't seem as slick and quick. And also, I'm not sure whether I would necessarily trust, you know, if you've got an iPad, you, you're going to be tempted to, you know, sit down in the living room with a, you know, with a halogen light above you or maybe in bed with no light and everything. And the, so the color, I'm not sure about the colors, to be honest with you. But, mm. you know, I don't know. I don't know enough about iPads and all that kind of stuff. Technically, yeah, it seems like a, it seems like a, a, a good solution um but yeah the ipad pro does look gay so i have to say i've I've seen a few of them in in the uh, i might be getting this tremendously wrong now kev but uh in in the in the early days of uh of putting files um onto old ipads old generation ipads wasn't something odd going on within the um, within within the uh, the engines that the gremlins were in charge of that that meant the the photographs got resized or changed into odd formats and and, and they weren't they weren't tremendously use, usable or have I got that wrong? Yeah, I mean in the very early days, certainly I think it was a is it HEIC formats Apple uses for their images, yeah, but yeah. I, you know now I think they've hand they've they've kind of handed over the processing of the images to the software the app if you like rather than the um the operating system yeah so i think that that issue's gone away um i mean i i remember i had an ipad once and it, i bought it because you know for this i thought this is going to be great for for kind of editing and stuff yeah and it came with one of those pencils you know those apple pencils oh yeah yeah um i could not believe the only way you could charge the pencil was by sticking it in the bottom of the charging port yeah. so it stuck out like a, like a third arm you know if you wanted to charge it at the same time as use it you couldn't and then how, I, I immediately, and I say immediately, like within a week, snapped the end of that pencil off because oh. it was stuck in the bottom of the uh, of the iPad. I'm assuming that that's no longer uh, an issue, you know, for a company that's that is amazing at design. That was absolutely horrific. Well, uh, we still charge the Apple Pen from the port with a with a sticky out arm. Yeah. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Is that really a And I'll tell you something that I thought was really Does weird. Does not do wireless charging? My Galaxy things, you just, it connects on the back by magnet and just charges itself. Oh, can you imagine? Uh, well, I've, we've, we've a slightly older iPad, so maybe, well, maybe it can now, I don't know. But I bet it must be able to do that. One of the now. weirdest things was, was the Magic Mouse, which uh, I love the Magic Mouse. But uh, somebody thought, okay, well, we won't put batteries in them anymore. You don't have to put double A's in them anymore, like the old ones. So what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll have you charge it from your from a lead, okay? Now that's fine, um, but they put where you plug the lead in underneath the mouse. So when it says it's not got any battery anymore, instead of just plugging it in and and using it like a wired mouse for about ten fifteen minutes while it fully charges, <laughs> you have to stick it in the bottom and go off and do something else instead. Who invented that? I tell you who invented that. The same fellow what invented the pencil charging system. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine taking that to Steve Jobs, you know, 
rest in peace, Steve, and him saying, hang on a moment, I think you've missed something here, brainwave. And there's, oh, yeah, yeah Steve, you're so right, yeah. Mm. I wonder whether some, sometimes, um, the, the, I, I don't know who invents. Common sense sometimes flies out the window with inventions, doesn't it? Well, I tell you what, Jacob Nielsen, he would not be liking it. Jack of what? Jacob Nielsen. What's that? Mm. Jacob Nielsen. Uh, Jacob Nielsen is the man of UX user design. He is he's he's basically the guru of the lot. Right. In fact, right. I've just typed him, his name in to get you. Uh, Jack Jacob Nielsen, Nielsen. PhD, yeah. is a user advocate and principal of the Nielsen Norman Group, yeah. which he co-founded with Dr. Donald A. Norman, former vice president of research at Apple Computer. There oh. you go. Dr. Nielsen established the discount usability engineering movement for fast and cheap improvements of user interfaces, and has invented several usability methods, including heuristic evaluation. Yeah. He holds 79 United States patents, mainly on ways of making the internet easier to use. He did. I got uh, when I used to do um, user interface design. Um, he, he has a brilliant book of his, yeah. and he used to talk. <laughs> it opened up with a great big t- uh, tirade, 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 yeah, tirade, yeah. about doors. Um, and like on a door, when you have a door in a in a in a pub or a shop, is this going to be the push pull thing that you get very yeah, upset about? If you have if you have a handle on the on the outside, yeah. like a, something you have to grasp, you want to pull it. You want to pull it. Yeah, towards you. Mm. Um, and if you have a push panel, then you want to push it. Uh, he's like, people who have doors with handles, and it's actually a push door, you you, you can just sit there and, and laugh because people will just walk into it constantly. Uh, and it made a lot of sense because that's the, the mind of the, you know, the user is, is like that. The interface, the user interface of this device is telling me what to do. It's giving me clues. Yeah. Um, and, and actually... You know, that's just badly designed door structures, like the pencil charging and the magic mouse charging. Well, there we go. Bad. I know you've always got excited about that because you, whenever we go somewhere, you say, look, it's a handle and I can't pull it. <laughs> I went to <laughs> I went to a, uh, a conference with him once, Jacob Nielsen. And it was brilliant. And I was with my first wife at the time. Yeah. And she's like, what's this about then? And I was like, oh, it's about like uh, design, user interfaces, you know, and I explained the door thing and everything. And, uh, and then we got divorced. Yeah, she finally realised. I think there was a reason. Uh, have I got to spend the rest of my life with a guy that's obsessing <laughs> about doors? I, I'm just a slight obsession about doors. And, and I, know, I know this is just not solvable because if you pushed it, you'd end up sort of damaging somebody's nose on the other side. But I, I never quite get the concept of when you go to the toilet and you wash your hands and then you have to pull the door open. And yep. I always worry about that because I'm thinking, well, not everybody's as diligent with me with the hand-washing thing. Well, no, but you see in a lot of places, especially in America, I've noticed this. You have your, you know, you have your doing bit inside. Um, doing and bit. then you come out of the doing bit room yeah. and then you have a, a, um, a communal area where they wash their hands. And then they, ah. and it's open. So there's no, there's no doors then. That makes a lot more sense. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you who didn't invent that. The guy that put... Something on the bottom of a magic mouse. I'm not sure, by the way, whether this next question from Paul Sillard, uh, where, <laughs> whether you're going to fall out with Paul. I hope you don't. Uh, dear Kev, with two Vs, because remember, Paul Sillard was the person that said Ken in the last mail. <laughs> or did he say Ken or was that somebody else? And Neil, was him, yeah. note the extra V on Kev as last time. Oh, yes, my iPad replaced Kev with Ken. So this is to make up for the shortfall. Love the show. This is your friend, Paul Sillard, pronounced as Sillard. Um, just for context, it's spelt S-Z-I-L-A-R-D. From Sydney down under, Kev has frequently complained about double letters being a waste of space. 
But you know the saying about people in glass houses don't, shouldn't throw stones? Well, the English language has its own abundance of double letters. How about cheese or shout or shoot? Need I oh, go on? But I don't understand agree. that. See, well, you know, but cheese, you have to have the CH there. Cheese that, is not a silent that, letter. That, that yeah, otherwise, it'd be yes. Yeah. It'd be keys, wouldn't it? And shout would be sout. Yeah. Those, or shoot. Those, those are not good examples. No, but sh- shoot. I totally agree with him. Yeah. Silent letters. How many trees have we lost to silent letters? Yeah. I'll give I you totally Gillingham and Gillingham. Oh, that's not really silent letters, is That's it? not silent. No, that's just that's, different pronunciations. different pronunciations. <laughs> I always listen to you guys when driving my Kia Sportage. And last week when I drove 1850 kilometres in two days. Oh, my word. I was tickle pink hearing my name mentioned on the show. Not once, but twice. Did we do it twice? We'll have to retract. Um, anyway, he's uh, just corrected some of the things that we've said in the <laughs> in the show from episode 186. Oh, I read this email. <laughs> We, uh, I we, might go and get a cup of coffee while you read it. Ed. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it would take forever, and I'm sure Paul won't won't mind me not reading the whole thing. Um, but uh, just a few salient things. Uh, I'm and just going to pick my confidence up. I've, <laughs> I've left it under the desk. <laughs> at, uh, at 22 minutes in, discussing why there's no white balance shift on the XT3. Well, my XT3 says Paul Sillard with a silent letter, and XT20 both have white balance shift. So I don't understand the poster's question. Well, I'm, I'm much less Kev's reply. Or am I yes. missing something? Well, that, that something one, here. he's wrong on. Because the question was, why can you not have white balance shift in custom settings? Right. Not, why is it in the camera? Why is it not in the camera? It is in the X-T3, but in the X-T4, you can have white balance shift in your custom settings. Yeah. There is the difference. Kaboom. There, where's my microphone? I want to drop it. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll use my headphones instead. Yeah, see? There's a rapper in you. <laughs> That's why you're number number eleven in the charts. The rest of it, I think he's right about that. <laughs> well, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pickups, but but one of them was about Carl at forty four, forty five. Carl Hare said you can get transformers that smooth out sixty hertz to fifty hertz. Oh my God, transformers can change voltage, but not frequency. And smoothing means removal, deduction, and not changing something. Sorry, guys, but this has to be said. Oh, I'll go. there's one about me here. 44 minutes. Neil was alluding that LED light sources, that the marketed for a 60 hertz country, would flicker at 60 hertz, even when used in the UK where the mains is 50 hertz. I find that very difficult to believe. Well, I tell you what, Paul Sillard in Australia, come and shoot a <laughs> wedding with me. Then you'd see that it does make a difference. Not that I'm getting angry. Um, quality LED lights are driven by DC regulators have nothing to do with the mains and cheap LED lights just have a switching mode PSU that switches at high frequency way above and unrelated to the mains supply frequency alright I reckon there's posher lights in Australia because it's definitely an issue and it definitely changes it if you change the frame rate uh, shots per second uh, frames per second to a multiple of of 60 it does make a difference. I think, sure. it's, I think it's all GPS. Gremlins per second. That's what's going on. The gremlins, gremlins aren't... Gremlins. The gremlins. The gremlins aren't, aren't actually cycling fast enough. Um, uh, OIS versus IBIS. IBIS is better because the sensor's near to the flange point or flange distance. This got me really puzzled, as OIS actually moves an element inside the lens body at its optimal position, requiring less movement to correct vibration, then moving the sensor to do the same. If I can make a bad illustration, oh, if you must, imagine a tennis ball hurtling towards you. Oh, I quite like this. 
Yeah. If its direction was altered a fraction of a degree at the point of the net, it would have the same effect as you moving quite a large distance sideways to reach the ball, i.e. small movement of the net, i.e. in the lens, has the same effect as a much larger movement of the player, i.e. the sensor. Does that make sense? Oh, never mind. <laughs> it does make sense to me. That's a very that's quite a good analogy, actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Paul, oh, tell you what, it's, it's hard sometimes. I mean, I, I, I have to say I lean on Kev as the resident expert because um, uh, when, when uh, Kev talks about throwing away boxes, the first thing I throw away is the manual because I read it and I think, oh, he's just not clever enough. <laughs> so I lean on Kev a bit. And as you know, I know nothing about LEDs now. <laughs> I shall get back in my box. Oh, I would do had Kev not thrown it away. <laughs> there was a guy on the on the Facebook group the other day who said he sold his he sold a box, oh, yeah, uh, one of I his Nikon um, empty boxes. Somebody <laughs> yeah. bought it for thirty pounds, and I was like, "Well, no, that's good for him, the yeah. seller. Yeah, that's yeah. very good, thirty pounds for yeah. a, a, a you know a, an air entrapper." <laughs> but the person who bought the box, yeah, oh, what's sad life? Oh, I thought you were going to say something about the person. You knew something about the person. No, no, no. Oh, I do know something about the person. I have no idea who it is, but I know lots about him. Yeah. Probably eats a lot of pizza, lives with his mum, <laughs> smells a bit, quite spotty, uh, big, big belly, uh, doesn't go out much. You just, you just descri- described somebody we know very well. Oh, me. What, what, watches those, uh, those late night documentaries on Channel 4. Oh, uh, you. The ones with the little red triangle in the corner. <laughs> no, Kev, stop now. <laughs> Anyway, Paul says... Uh, I Are we do... still talking about Matt Hancock? No. <laughs> I do love your shows and will continue to listen every episode. I expect, though, I'm now on the ban list. So pray <laughs> forgive me for my comments. From Paul Szilard. Um No, Paul, you're not. And and actually, that's that's the... <laughs> that hopefully is the humour of this. That it's two blokes just trying to get it right who occasionally get it very wrong. <laughs> Oh dear! Shall we have? Uh, shall we go for our? We our... are still talking about Man- Matt Hancock. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's go for our, our interview. Now, I went down to Gillingham in in Dorset. It's lovely in Gillingham, by the way. It's what a lovely town. Have you been there? I have been there actually. Yeah, it is very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very pretty. Very quaint. And um, I went to see an exhibition. And the exhibit. Do you remember? Um, uh, in fact, let me go to the the his web page here, Michael Beecham's web page. Uh, which is the sanity within the stasis, which I thought was a wonderful project. He essentially, I mean, I'm not going to give the whole thing away because that's what an interview is about. But uh, essentially, he he shot a project during lockdown where he could go no further, really, than his garden because he was sticking regimentally to, to the rules. Wasn't he, Matt? I've got to resign. Yes. And uh, and so he's made... Oh, look, the- a woman. <laughs> Kev, no, because that's unfair. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to do a serious piece of uh, of of, um, of introduction of, a, of of our interview here, Kev. So he made these tremendous photographs of the flora in his garden, and he put a um, in fact he put across his lens uh, cling film. So these photographs take on a very sort of unworldly kind of. Exp- kind of appearance so I went to see the, the exhibition that Michael is one man show that he's got in Gillingham and we spoke about the sanity within the stasis the collection is called the sanity within the stasis and it was it was a project which I started at the beginning of the lockdown 
UK lockdown 2020 because we couldn't go anywhere and creatively I was I found myself in a really really frustrated and dark place you know we everybody was struggling and suffering in one point and I needed some kind of a creative outlet to to at least try and get some of this stuff that was in me out of me um, obviously we couldn't we couldn't go anywhere and so the entire body of work was created in my garden uh, apart from two images I think but mostly in my, in my garden or in my house and trying to find creative ways of expressing I think probably a, a bit of a deep angst and frustration with where we were all at and maybe fears over the pandemic and you know the fact that it was all coming a bit close. We, we wanted to, to honour the government's guidelines as best we could, which was saying don't go out you know, if you didn't have to. Um, I, I'm aware that you know, everybody's living conditions are different and we're, we, we, you know, we're very blessed to at least have a garden that we could go and sit in if, you know, if we want to get outside. Um, we were able to go out for our, our day's walk for an hour, um, but I didn't feel like I wanted to use that time with my camera because I was out with my wife and I wanted to be with her in that time and have the exercise. And also, I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel that it was a, a correct interpretation of the regulations to go out and take my camera and keep stopping. And it didn't feel like that was my regulated exercise. You know, I know it's a personal opinion, but... Um, I wanted to. I wanted to stay in as much as I could. Probably a little bit of fear in there as well, to be honest. It's interesting, actually, because you forget about that. That was one of the rules, wasn't it? That if you were out, it was for exercise. Maybe there was that sense of stigma that, or, or guilt that if you stopped, people would be judging you for for not doing the right thing and being indoors. And I think we wanted to mitigate that as much as we could. So um, we we made the, we made the decision to stay indoors as, as much as we could at, at that time which is very limiting creatively. Um, and particularly when you're either a nature or a landscape, particularly a landscape photographer, if you can't go to the landscape, what do you do? You know, obviously we weren't going to be taking f portraits of people or, or that kind of thing. So we, I had to try and come up with something that I could do with my camera. And the only thing I had really was my garden, which was close, as close to the landscape as I could get, I suppose. But the landscape came to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a sense. Um, and I guess, I, I, I guess these are, the, the images are small, I don't know, nature portraits. Some of them are a little bit abstract, but I, yeah, the most that we could do really. And, and actually it was really helpful to, to try and force myself to look at subjects that I wouldn't normally photograph in, in a more creative way and, and try and take some enjoyment from it. So let's talk about how technically you took these, you made these pictures then, because they're, they're I guess, similar in their, their, their feel of um, softness. And I don't, I don't mean that focally, although some of them do have that sort of soft touch to them, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. So I, I approach this in a way that I try and approach all of my uh, long-term projects, which, which is, I'll, I'm a big fan of consistency. So in order to do that, I'll, I'll choose some camera settings which I know will work. I mean, obviously we'll have to change that if the light changes, but by and large, I'll, I'll use the same settings. Uh, at the time, I was using my Fuji X100F, which only goes down to F2, and I, and I knew that I wanted shallower depths of fields because I wanted to try and create areas of abstraction and areas where it's not quite as easy to understand what's going on in a scene. 
and and you can't get that with an f2 as much as i wanted to so most of these images were taken with uh cling film yeah i remember having a conversation with you about it. so so wrapping cling film onto the lens leaving some areas of the lens exposed so we can get some some parts of the image sharp but the rest is is pretty blurry like you say very soft focus it's a very small lens, the, the X100. So how, how do you mean that you were leaving some areas of it exposed and other areas with cling film? I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you put cling film over an X100, it's completely covered. Well, it, it is. I, I, had to, I had to kind of re- really work with it. And, and yes. I was working very close in and have my hands on the lens and just micro adjustments of the cling film to tr- as I'm looking through the viewfinder to try and find if I'm hitting areas of focus. So it's kind of like the old trick of putting a, um, a, a sheer stocking over a, over a lens to get a creative effect. You were using cling film. Yeah, and uh, I, I did buy a pair of Denny A7 tights to, to try and get the same effect, but um, it just made everything... You would lose the contrast there as well. It would make everything almost very, very flat and, and, and very lacking contrast. So um, tried that, didn't work, went, went for the cling film, um, and at least then I had a degree of control, and cling film is very good at not messing with the contrast, it just messes with the focus. And it's cheap. It's really cheap, <laughs> although my wife didn't appreciate me using as much cling film as I did. Yeah, you know there's a war on. We can't, we, we can't find cling film. Let's have a little look around and, uh, and have a look at some of the different pictures. I mean, I, I think I recognise this yeah. well from the from the, the side. Dandelion. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was um, we, we we tried not to mow the lawn too often, and um, we obviously we had dandelions growing up, yeah. and I, I I do like dandelions. Um, I I think that sometimes they're photographed almost to death. I think they can be a little bit of a cliche, and you know the, the old blowing the dandelion yeah. and taking photos mm. of the seeds in midair. But but I. I love the idea of it, and and I think there was a part of me, actually, when I when I look at this photo, there is a part of me I recognise absolutely that I looked at the. I know it sounds morbid, but almost the death of something, mm. and and I and I wanted to try and represent that because I I felt certainly for me that I was mourning. It really does sound morbid. I'm, I apologise, but I I was kind of mourning the death of a way of life that I didn't even know whether we would get back, mm. and I wanted to try and represent that. And I think that's the same for for all of the images in this project. Is I'm, I'm trying to express something of what I was feeling at the time, and 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 nobody nobody knew whether we would have a way of life back that we were used to. I think we started to get moments of that back again but at the time we didn't know you know I, I, I hit a bit of a dark place really and I think I mean that's why I called it the sanity within the stasis it's, it's trying to find some sense of sanity in, in a in a season of of things feeling very chaotic and very dark and you know nobody I didn't feel that that we knew what was what was going on or what was going to happen you know where, where it was all going to end up um, and so this expression of, of trying to trying to figure the internal stuff in me out, um, born these black and white images, which they're a little bit dark, I guess. Well, they are dark, but I mean, as I said before, the sort of soft nature of them means that they're not they're not stark. They're not they're not depressing images. They're beautiful images, aren't they? I thank you. I, I think so. I I, I think they're be- I do think they're beautiful. And I, I, maybe the softness was a was a byproduct of of actually what I was trying to do, which was c- 
create obscurity, I suppose. It's trying to make areas of the image obscure be- because it reflected the, the sense of obscurity that I, I sense in, in the country, or certainly within me. The interesting thing is, of course, that um, you've been able to, and we were in the gallery now, and let's move over here a little bit. So well, you're in the gallery now, and people are sort of coming in and, and, and looking around at your work, and this is a lovely benefit of being able to stand behind people. It, it is, and, and try and gauge their reaction. I mean, there is there is an interest in me to see if people feel about the images that, or get out the images at least what I was what I was feeling when I created them. Um, but also, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure I, I I subscribe to the whole idea that people need to interpret images for themselves. I think some images can be obvious as to what it is they're trying to say, but these are I think these are abstract enough. For for people to interpret or to kind of get out of the images what, what they want. Um, that's the intention anyway. Well, this one, this, this rose here, this is... I mean, this has a feeling of... And I've used this expression before for things I've seen of late, um, a feeling that it, it could be a charcoal drawing. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges was to try and find find the right kind of light. I, I had a had a bit of an image for some images, a bit of a vision, sorry, for some images, of what I wanted them to look like, and obviously it requires uh, requires lacking light, um, and so I wait until the dusk. The these two images are of the same rose. Um, so the, <laughs> I, I hesitate whether to kind of tell this story, but but actually th- this is a rose. <laughs> that was given to my wife um, she um, she had a cancer diagnosis in 2000 and, uh, 2019 I think um, she's been given the all clear it was a real really hectic time but this is a rose that was given to her as a gift that hadn't hadn't fully grown um, and I f- and I felt that there was there was a clear correlation between the reason why it was given and kind of what I was feeling on the inside and I, which is why there's two images of this one rose I wanted to do something uh, almost do a bit of a homage, I guess, to to the to the to the um, situation that we were in then, and the situation that we found ourselves in when these were taken. Um, I would say these are my two favourite images, personally. But yeah. you know, well, they've certainly got the the most um, emotive uh, connection, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, and. Um, I, I, I think all of the images, these in particular, I think all, all of the images are, are born out of an emotional thing that, that is going on inside of you. I think, we're, I think we all do that when we take photos. It's, we, we photograph out of ourselves to a degree, you know, whether we're having good days, bad days, light or dark days. And we photograph out of ourselves. So we, you know, we, there is a piece of us when we take a photo and for these two in particular there is I can't not look at <laughs> can't not look at the rose and I can't not look at these photos without knowing what's behind it and, and yeah the backstory and, and, and they're very precious you know um, as is my wife obviously <laughs> I, I'm intrigued as, as to why you it's beautiful <laughs> there's no reason for it to be in colour but I, I am intrigued as in as to why you photograph landscape and all your work as black and white like this? I think a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I, I've always loved black and white images. I just, I, I, seem to, I seem to just appreciate black and white images more than colour. I, I don't know why, um, but ever since I picked up my first camera and I was able to shoot um, and, and turn them into black and white, that's just what I've done. Um, I've tried to shoot colour in the past. Um, I've, I've done projects... 
Ironically, you know, I'm a, I'm a designer by trade um, and, and my stock in trade is colour. You know, I deal in colour every day, but I cannot for the life of me shoot well in colour. And I, and I don't see images in the same way in colour as I do in black and white. The, I, images and scenes are not as obvious to me. I, I, I'm not sure I would say that I see in black and white now. I'm not even, I'm not even too sure how you do that, but I seem to recognise what an image might look like eventually as a black and white image rather than a colour one. I mean, I, I see, obviously, the, the opportunity of a book in this. Yeah, um, I, I'm starting to think about... So, so actually, this was never the intention. The sanity within the stasis was always supposed to be just me trying to work something out. However, I, I've started to get these little rumblings inside that, you know, if that was if that was a working out of what it was to be in lockdown and all of the pain and the darkness and the angst that went with that, well, we're moving out of that now. So, so it feels honouring to me, to myself, actually, to, to create a body of work which almost kind of celebrates, almost like that was the prequel, this is the sequel, to, to celebrate the fact that we're feeling much lighter and things look, look a little bit more positive. So I've, I've just started to create a couple of images and, and I already know that, that this is going to be called the serenity within the stasis um, because it feels lighter, it feels like we're, we're moving into a much more positive place than we've been. And it felt right to, to, to kind of almost bookend that. You know, we're, we're, we're moving into a better space. How do, we, how do I photographically um, work that out inside of myself? I know you're going to say uh, you, you're going to use a, a, a well-worn um, sports shoe uh, analogy here, but, but if I were to ask for your advice, because I think everybody, uh, not everybody, that's, that's nonsense, I, I think a lot of people, certainly people listening to this show, will have thought, yeah, I fancy an exhibition. I've really wanted to see my, my work on a wall. Any, any advice for those that, that want to do it without using the famous tick phrase? Uh, I don't know, maybe consider it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, okay, it's, it's cliche, and I'm not, you know, we, we know what the advert is. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't get done unless you do it. The, the hardest part is, is putting that first foot in front of you um, because there is, there is all of the emotional stuff inside of you. If you're anything like me, you, know, you, will, you will tell yourself that nobody wants to see it, nobody's that bothered. There are way more important things going on in the world right now than, than looking at your images. Maybe you just do it for yourself, but I, I think you have to just do it. I think you have to put that out um, if you're, for yourself, if nothing else. But having, having tracked with three exhibitions now, having done it, I'm absolutely convinced that they feel like the natural end to either a, an image, single image, a body of work, um, a, a significant amount of time that you've invested in, into getting something inside of you out. E even if you don't show them, I would say get them printed. Ha having, having a body of work printed in front of you that you can tangibly look at and say, do you know what, I did this, this was me like this wasn't this wasn't me trying to hide away e even if nobody else sees it maybe even if you if like Daniel Milner would say if you just put it into one book that's your copy nobody else has to see it you can say I did that and and that feels like a really good natural end to me of a, of a body of work for, for me I just I just chose to be able to exhibit it because 
you know, I'm able to, I suppose that's, that's the brass tacks of it. I'm, I'm able to exhibit. I have a gallery space near me. Um, I hope people just enjoy them when they come round. And if they do, great. But the work was for me, first and foremost. Having done that, now I, uh, I suppose in a way I allow people to see what I've done. And if they, a little bit, I, I, find, I always think it's a little bit like when you have a newborn baby and you taking photographs. You know, you, you hand your newborn baby to somebody else and you, and you hope that they don't find it ugly. You know, you think that they, that you, you hope that they find it just as beautiful as you do, but eventually somebody's got to see your baby. Yeah. Um, and I feel that with my, with my work. I'm, I'm at the point now in myself where I'm confident to hand somebody my baby of a body of work and say, I hope you don't find it ugly. I hope you find it okay. And if they do, that's great. But it's still my baby. And I've, I think it's beautiful. My thanks to Michael Beecham. And on the show page today, you will find links to the exhibition. Plus, he is in the Facebook group, the Fujicast Facebook group, so you can talk with him more there about this whole solo thing. If you have been thinking along these lines, and of course, uh, for those listening outside the UK or in the future, because that's often how podcasts are consumed as part of a diet to catch up and listen again, the exhibition will, of course, not necessarily be on, but the work uh, will be available to view online. And I can't wait to see part two as Michael hinted to. So, this week, over on my other podcast, Photography Daily, I have two episodes on the free stream for you. Friday Photo Walk as ever is waiting for your ears at the end of the week where we take a, a walk in the outside world, talk about photography and make some pictures together. Uh, but this Wednesday, a guest who has such a potent life story that it's been cut into two episodes. Now, one of those is going to be this week with an extra edition next Monday. Jason P. Howe spent next to a decade working in a camera store, learning and watching and then leaving, leaving to become a photojournalist. The type he'd met whilst working behind a counter. But Jason didn't just think about easing himself in. He sells everything he has and funds a trip to Colombia to make pictures of a, a civil war that's been raging for 40 years and taken the lives of 200,000 people, with 3 million further displaced. Jason recounts a story about arriving to make these pictures, learning how to tell a story of this significance on the fly, a baptism of fire from the word go. They were fairly convinced that I was up to no good. Uh, so they made a call, a pickup truck arrived, a couple of guys in shades, long shirts with pistols and radios, no ID, uh, put me in the vehicle and drove away. He tells to some degree a love story with a country he feels incredible empathy for and with, and the story of a woman he falls for romantically, only to find out one day she is a hired assassin. Yes, um, I have to say it didn't come as the huge shock that most normal people in normal situations would think that it would. So if you spend a fair bit of time in a war zone, almost everyone that you come into contact with is on one side or the other or involved in some way. Stories of life told by photographers and on Wednesday on the Photography Daily podcast, that photographer is Jason P. Howe. Right, back to the questions. Um, you go first, Kev, with your... Yeah, it's your turn with the Facebook, isn't it? This is from um, blah, 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 Tom Verhoeven. Uh, he says, a GFX question. I was surprised that the GFX 100S doesn't have the HDR function like the X-T4. It's a real time saver for some real estate situations with tight deadlines. Will it come in firmware, or is it technically just impossible because of the heavier files? 
Hmm, good question. I um, didn't know that it didn't have the HDR in the X in the GFX 100s. I don't know whether it even has it in the GFX 100. Uh, I doubt it. Then, if it's not in the 100s, I personally can't see any technical reason. I mean, it's heavy processing going on. You're gonna have to. You know, you'll be waiting for a while while those those images are processed in the camera because these images are yeah. big. They're humongous. So maybe that's the reason why they haven't done it. I mean, yeah, I think technically there probably isn't a reason. But probably the, the the kind of logical reason is yeah if you start running too many of these you're gonna you know your battery's gonna drain and and, yeah. and all, it might get too hot. I mean there's a there's a lot of things going on with all these exposures happening, isn't there? It's blending of yeah. uh, up to five files, yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a big old processing shift, isn't it? Yeah, probably something to do with that. Will Colin. Hi, Neil. Hi, Kev. Um, this can't be the first time that you've been asked about sensor cleaning, but I'm a relative newcomer to the show. It's not an issue with Neil's new X100V, of course, but I'm starting to wonder when I need to bite the bullet and clean my eight-month-old X-T4 sensor. Have you ever done this on any of your mirrorless cameras? Did you do it yourself, or did you get it done at a service centre? How often do you think we should be cleaning our camera sensors? Every year, every 3,000 shots, every 100 lens changes? I watched a few YouTube videos on the subject, and I think I'll have the nerve to do it myself, but I'd very much welcome any tips if you've ever done it on a camera with IBIS. Maybe this should be a question for Carl, but um, I have a, a lifelong aversion to the Book of Face, so I'm sending the question by email. From, <laughs> like that. From book, of the face. book of Face. <laughs> Sounds like some sort of religious tome, doesn't it? Um, well, I, I do clean my sensors. I've cleaned DSLR sensors. I've cleaned mirrorless. Uh, by virtue of the fact that um, I clean the XH1s, the IBIS sensor doesn't put me off doing it. I don't use a high pressure. You know, except when I get the scouring pad out. You're going to get that in really... <laughs> Comes up beautiful, it does. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm very careful with it. And, and there, there is, you know, I've, I've never... Um, <laughs> your mileage may vary, as Kev often says. And um, just because I do it doesn't mean you should do it. But I've never found it to be a problem. But you don't touch that with a barge pole, do you, Kev? I've never cleaned a sensor, no. ever. Uh, 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 when I used to have my Canon system, which we're, we're, we're talking about 12 years ago now, I used to send them off once a year to Canon yeah. Professional Services up in, uh, where were they, Elstree. Yeah. Uh, and they would do that. But I've not, none of my Fujifilm cameras have, I've never even had the sensors cleaned. I mean, I, I did send, one of them had to go back once for a repair. My X-T2, the top plate, something happened to that after about four years. So that went back and perhaps they, they probably cleaned the sensors as part of the you know general kind of yeah. fixing things. Other than that, none of my cameras have ever been sensor cleaned. Well, I, I've got a packet load of APS-C sensor cleaning swabs here and... Uh, What's the difference between an APS-C sensor cleaning swab and a full-frame sensor cleaning swab? It's going to be larger, isn't it, Kev? Larger. What's the size it, of this one? Isn't it just a, a little sensor, sticky thing? Sensor width less than 24 mil if you're doing a full frame one. Uh, sensor width less than 16 mil if you're doing a uh, an APS-C. Because you're swiping across, aren't you, horizontally? Mm, don't know. I'm sure Paul Sillard will have something to say about this. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, in, I'm guessing if you're if you're shooting a, um, you know, bigger f-stops, larger, uh, smaller f-stops, bigger apertures, uh, you know, f16 and beyond, then you're going to see more more stuff. Perhaps I, I'm rarely at those kind of uh, numbers. Yeah, I mean, you shoot quite shallow, so you're not you're not going to see a yeah. lot of that, are you? No. Um, I, I yeah, you, you rarely you rarely see it in shooting the style that we're shooting, of course. And you'd be surprised if you do, <laughs> Kev, go to eight or eleven. And you'll think, oh my word, this is this is messy. 
Um, yeah, I'd probably right. You know, if I was a landscape photographer, I'm sure that I would be getting my senses yeah. cleaned accordingly. But yeah, I've never done it. I only really really noticed it when I was doing a lot of studio portraiture with uh, with high key backgrounds, and mm. in the edit you'd think, oh my word, look at these! It's like orbs hanging in the air. They are, <laughs> and so I would uh, generally because I change lenses quite a lot. I would have to do this every every couple of months to to and in fact when um when I did the stuff in Africa oh, I I was at one stage when I was out in the bush I was changing lenses within a, a large plastic bag because it didn't matter what you did how careful you were turning the camera upside down whatever there was it was just dust and moisture floating everywhere and it just it was really difficult so I think on that trip, I was there two weeks. The longest one I did was two weeks. And I must have cleaned my senses probably two or three, two, two, twice, maybe twice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine in, in that kind of environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or you get an X100 and you don't change it at all. In F1.4 Malmesbury, not a need. <laughs> that sounds like a land. In the land of F1.4 Malmesbury, yeah. <laughs> um so thanks will right uh do we have time for another question from facebook or shall we go should we go for book let's go for the book of the week kev book of the week all right book of the week is <clears throat> it's large the world atlas of street photography forward right. by max kozloff right. um and then it just says jackie higgins underneath so i'm, I'm not sure whether she's the uh curator of the book it's not just her photos actually it's a really nice book I tell you what, as usual, it's easier for me to give a bit of the blurb that's written on it. Um, the World Atlas of Street Photography focuses on the abundance of photography that has been created on street corners around the globe. It includes classic documentary street photography as well as images of urban landscapes, staged performances and sculptures. In so doing, this compelling reference book locates the meeting point between street photography and Atlas. <laughs> there you go. There's the link. There's the link. Um, yeah. Between yeah. artists and their personal understanding of our environment, not via a cartographic bird's eye view, but through a more intimate human-centered perspective. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Not via – I'm going to put that on my website. Not via a cartographic <laughs> bird's eye view, but through a more intimate human-centered perspective. Hmm. Um, from from New York to New Delhi, Beijing to Brighton, Havana to Hamburg, and Sydney to Seoul, this magnificently illustrated book presents an international cast of more than 100 established and emerging contemporary photographers. And they're all named, but I'm not going to name them all. I'm just going to read five out very randomly. Well, I'm sure you, uh, you recognise quite a lot of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of, plenty of big names in there. Yeah. But um, I'm, just, my, I'm just pointing. I'm doing the pin on the donkey's bum thing. Oliver Chanarin, Boris Savalev, uh, Michael Itkoff... And Claudia Zhujagarib. There we go. Um, but you're right. There is there is a whole lot more. I'm in glad there, you put. I'm, I'm glad. I, I think I'm glad. You're glad you put the pin on the most difficult names for you. I know. I should have gone for the ones at the end. Richard Wentworth and Graham Williams, Sue oh, Williamson, and Frank Smith. I love that Frank Smith's work. He's great. <laughs> uh, Matt Stewart's in there. Uh, yeah. We know Matt, of course. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, just yeah, trying yeah. to glance to see if there's any of the names that we've uh, any other people we've kind of talked about on the show yeah. many times. Uh, Trent Park, Martin Parr. Gus Powell, uh, Bruce Gildin, and yeah, a whole load of others. Anyway, so the book is big and heavy and uh, really nice, actually. It's got that uh, Atlas feel about it. And it's it's widely available. 
So um, essentially, each kind of page is a little mini story, if you like, or each section is a little mini story. So I'm flipping now. Uh, page 89, Latin America, Mexico City, Monterey, Lima, Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo, and Caracas. Uh, and then it names all of the photographers that are involved in this section. So there's uh, obviously then the images and then kind of little interviews and talks from each of the photographers. So some of the, 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 the disappointing thing I think about this book, if there is anything that's disappointing, is that a lot of the pictures are very small. And the, the, there's, there seems to be a, a probably, a, for my personal liking, a bit too much text to, to image ratio. Right. So, you know, some, it makes sense in some cases for these small images because they're, they're inter intersected with the, the text that's relevant to a certain paragraph, for example. Um, but I would like to see more, more kind of larger images, perhaps. But yeah, so I'm in Naples now. I am on page 174 and I'm in Naples. Uh, born 1959, Johnny Shand kid. Born 1959, London, UK, lives London, studied Exeter University. Yeah. Uh, Self-taught in photography. Uh, this series, uh, Siren City, 2000 to 2008, and then uh, other genres, portraits. So it gives a little bio of each of the, the photographers and then an insight into the work about the area. So I love these pictures here. You've got kind of, um, you know, because Naples is that is is one of those cities that's, uh, you know, it's got water, but it's also very, very um, yeah. kind of metropolitan. All you know, the buildings yeah. go basically right up to the waterfront. Well, I've always wanted to go there. Yeah, so you've got you've got a lot of people kind of squeezing into every inch of the of the of the beach area there. Um, you know, and you've got people, kids on hula hoops and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, quite some quite good abstract stuff in here. I really like looking at the, the some of these images you've got. I'm looking at one particular one now where it's a couple of people on the beach and then you've just got somebody who's obviously jumping from behind them. So you just get the legs in the air, floating in the air. That's pretty oh, cool. yeah. I, no, I tried to do something very similar to that when, when uh, in uh, Croatia with the X100F, it would have been. Remember when we were travelling? Uh, it was very difficult shot. Sometimes you look at these street photos and you think, oh, I could do that. It's a bit like this sort of when you go to an art gallery and think, hmm. Well, it's nothing special. But actually, some of these shots are much harder to achieve than you would imagine, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, if they can do if it happens just as, you know, you're, you're yeah. kind of there, then, yeah. then absolutely, it's a great yeah. shot. So page 310 is Asia, the start, the start of the Asia journey. Yeah. We've got Jerusalem, Shanghai, Beijing, uh, Shenzhen, Tokyo, Delhi, Mumbai, Manila, Dubai, Seoul, and Hanoi. Love to go to Hanoi. And that picture opens with Peter Balborzewski, um, Manila, Philippines, 2008. Wonderful picture there of this. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, really. It's uh, I don't want to call it like uh, shanty because you know this is where people live, isn't it? A yeah. favela, maybe. Anyway, this is uh, you know a whole row of houses, but they're no more than really cardboard boxes, uh, wooden boxes, and you've got um, all of the clothes outside. You've got people hanging their clothes in outside the the windows, if you like. You've got frying pans and and all sorts being uh, you know just just hung up outside the house because of storage issues. Um, and you've got people, you've got this lovely picture of this old woman who's sat in this doorway, but her house is on the second floor. So the only way she can get to it is with a, a ladder. Wow. So her doorway is on the second floor. There's a ladder beneath her and there's this old woman sat there just watching the, the day go by. Listening to you describe it, these, these are kind of, kind of like narrative pictures, aren't they? This one is particularly, yeah. And interestingly, there's a there's an old, um, what would you call it, like a petrol drum kind of thing oh, outside yeah. that people are using as a, as a cooking pot. Yeah. Um, and it's upside down, but the word on the petrol drum, if I turn the book upside down, says, 
somebody's written rescue. So I don't know there's like some kind of hidden message there. Like I say, the images are, I would like to see a little bit larger, but then I suppose, you know, some people do like to read a lot more about the, the stories and the photographers yeah. and the photography. So maybe it will, it will appeal to, to those people. It's not a particularly uh, expensive book for its size, I don't think. It is around about uh, currently on Amazon, although, of course, people, you should use your local bookstores, um, uh, £18. RRP is £24.95. Right. Yeah, good. I like it. I do like it. I had this for a very long time. I was actually, uh, I, I, can, I was trying to figure out where I got this from. And I think it was when I used to write for um, Professional Photographer Magazine oh, before they, okay. they kind of went out of business. They sent it to me to do a review. Oh. And uh, and then they, they, they kind of went pop, so it never happened. Um, so, yeah, it's um, yeah, a really nice book. Does it does it feel quite instructional to you? And in that um, I suppose with the text it would be, wouldn't it? Because you can really get inside the minds of those people. Yeah, it's not instructional as in, you know, I use this camera, I use this aperture, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there is a little bit of, you know, I used a, a long lens because of this reason. Yeah. Um, but but more, yeah, it's more about, a lot of it is about the photographers talking about um, the reasons why they, they were in that area, the project they were doing, uh, you know, the psychology of the shoot, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, it is, it is a really nice book. I have to say it's a really nice book. Well printed, um, nice big, you know, it's a good one to have on your coffee table. I and think. affordable. And affordable. The World Atlas yes. of Street Photography. Okay. I'm just going to put it back over here. <laughs> Um, did we do this one from Chris Stevenson before? Hi guys, bit of fun for you. Both in charge of your own camera company. You have an un unlimited budget. Um, yeah, we did it. What revolutionary idea would you... Oh, it's slightly different, I think. Yeah. We did it. Did we? Yeah. All right. Definitely did it. Okay. Well, in that case then, can I have some more questions for email, please? <laughs> we, uh, well, there's one on the Facebook group that you, you put a, a note in to say, let's, good question, let's make sure this is in the next show. So okay. uh, shall right. I start with that one? Yeah, go for it. Uh, Graham Ackworth says, hi, team. <laughs> ah, we're a team. Team? Uh, I'm I'm heavily invested in Nikon mirrorless, but fell in love with the XE3 in brown, mm. uh, purely on looks. He says, uh, the kind salesman at the store tried to talk me out of it and suggested the X100S at the time. Now that Neil James has his new toy, uh, the next model up, of course, <laughs> yeah. can you tell me what I might be missing out on? I enjoy the ability to change lenses on the XE3, but usually just leave the 27 mil on. And purely use it for street photography. The flippy out screen, as Kev likes to call it, he yeah. says, isn't really an issue for me. Very happy with my purchase, but was curious why I might be talked out of this purchase. Is there much of a size or performance issue difference? Cheers from Graham, Brisbane, Australia. Well, I, I, I've not used the camera that he, he is talking about. Well, you would know this. Is there a huge difference? I mean, I, had, I think the X100V, by the way, is one of the nippiest things to focus I've ever had in my hands. Well, first of all... I, I, I'm fairly sure the reason why the, the the guy in the store was trying to talk you out of the XC3 and the X100S is probably because he gets more commission on the X100S. <laughs> more Sim than likely. Simple as. If I, was, if I was a salesman, that's what I'd be doing. <laughs> okay. Buy the things that bring me more money. <laughs> that, that doesn't seem ethical. <laughs> Ethics have gone out the window. I'm, I'm joking. I don't know. Um, you know, because actually, yeah, he, why, why wouldn't he be talking about X100V? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, XE3, X100S, um, 27 mil. you know, there's a difference. It's, you know, the, the focal length is slightly different if you think about the 27 mil and 23 mil, um, interchangeable. Yeah, I mean, size-wise, they're very similar, you know, uh, same sensor, same kind of um, film sims, all of that stuff. 
uh you know the xe3 i think uh i did have an xe3 and i sold it because i just never really used it uh, and my idea with the xe3 would be that it would i would stick one lens on it constantly have it in black and white jpeg only um and just use it like that but actually in yeah. the end i just just carried on using my x100 so um but now the xe4 is out with obviously with the newest sensor and everything i know that that's that's selling quite well yeah. um yeah i mean it's one of those isn't it it's a personal choice thing really ultimately they're very similar in terms of build um, it comes down to this idea of, uh, you know, uh, interchangeable lenses more than anything. Did and then you you've got to start thinking about cleaning your sensors. <laughs> and who'd want to do that? Well, I've got some uh, in here. Look. See, you could borrow one of those. I thought that was chocolate then. It made me hungry. No, no. <laughs> you wouldn't want to eat one of these. If you had to choose between a 100F and save a few pennies uh, and a 100V, I mean, I know you collect all the 100s, so perhaps it's an unfair question. But what, what's the what's what for, apart from the flippy out screen as you call it? Some of the main differences between that that F and V that you think oh, it's a no brainer V every time. Yeah, the V is is I think the difference between the F and the V is the greatest leap between any of the X100 models. Do you? Yeah. Uh, so X100 to X100s was big. X100s to X100t was not so big. X100t to X100. Uh, F was reasonably big, but then X100F to X100V. Uh, have I missed one out? No, I think uh, that's all of them. That's it, isn't it? Then X100V is is huge. Yeah, so faster to focus. Yeah. Uh, much better video yep. uh, capabilities. Um, you know, it's it's got a better sensor. It's backlit sensor. It's better in low light. It's got uh, extra stops on the ND filter. It's just, yeah, it's it's a huge difference. Um, and obviously it depends when you say a few pennies, save a few pennies, depends on how many pennies it is. Um, but yeah, I would I would, I would, would generally be, be, if I had to choose one now, it would be X100V. But it of would, course, yeah. you know, that doesn't make the X100F ca- a bad camera all of a sudden. No, just because a new no. camera comes out, it doesn't de- degrade the quality of the previous one. But if we are just talking specifics, specifics on specifications, then so, that's where we're at. ST... F-V. Why the letters? Second, third, fourth and fifth. What do you think of that, Paul Sillard? Bet you didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to write back now. I think you'll find. What do you think the sixth one will be called then? Well, it can't be S, can it? No. Well, that's the reason why five is V rather than F. Yeah. Or uh, V-I. I don't know, Kev. Answers on a postcard. Um, Mike Miller. Neil and Kev. Dear Neil and Kev. Oh, it's very formal. Dear Neil and Kev. Kevin, rather. I hope that you're both staying positive while continuing to test negative. Oh, that's how he started his last mail, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we are, Mike. We are. In fact, Kev, now, with your two jabs, you can lick the handrails at Swindon Railway Station. Yep. Yeah. Have you tried went it? There. Yeah, went there yesterday. It was great. <laughs> Especially to do it. Just me and loads of other old people. <laughs> Kev, you're not that old. I felt old when I went to get my second jab. Did, you? Did it feel a bit like we talked about this before? A bit like Logan's Run. That's right. It's horrible. Young actually, when I think about that, you know, because yeah. they opened it up to eighteen-year-olds. They're all yeah. on the left yeah. at Bath Racecourse, and then us oldies were stuck in one. We were all kind of corralled into one little lane on the right-hand side, where there were bright yellow cards. They might as well have just, you know, might as well. Have, the, those cards were blue and yellow. Oh, they might as well yeah. have just said old and young, <laughs> because that that sort of den- your, your denotes which, which of the vaccines you're going to get, doesn't it? No, well, not in that case. It was denoting um, whether you had your first one or not. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. Because when I went for the second, they definitely had a Pfizer side and an AstraZeneca side with different mm. cards. 
So we all went different ways. Um, I've been meaning to ask this question since I started listening to the Fuji car. Since you're both social wedding photographers, can you give somewhat of a detailed explanation, or wait for the detail now, as to what exactly documentary wedding photography is and how it actually differs from the photography that I had done with my uh, wife when we were married in 1986? Are there other types or genres of wedding photography? If so, can you give a brief overview if you are in need of some time to fill? <laughs> Please. Um, how does it differ from, from, well, I mean, photography has, I was going to say it's matured, but that, that's, that's, that's nonsense because photography matures through the years with every single year uh, and, and different photographers and the way that they approach things. They just do things differently. I mean, maybe mature is the wrong, wrong word, but definitely styles have changed. Although my mum and dad's um, wedding album from 1962 had some documentary reportage stuff in there. Yeah, I think, you know, I think most, most people... All, all wedding photographers will do quite a lot of um, candid photography, whether it's documentary or not, is, is, is the debate, I suppose. For me, documentary is candid and storytelling, with a view of telling an overall story as well as stories within frames, rather than just um, like a headshot of somebody smiling, which I do. That, you know, that's, that's yeah. still part of what I do. Yeah. But generally, I've got my eye on trying to um, tell a story. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of genres of wedding photography now, isn't there? There's, you know, there's editorial, there's fine art, there's there's a, a traditional, uh, you know, there's, there's that weird thing where you have two tiny people on top of a mountain and the, the man is dragging the woman up. Um, <laughs> what? I don't know what that, that's called. That's just weird wedding photography in my what? world. Like the dinosaur uh, chasing shots. Dinosaur chasing. Yeah. But but listen, honestly, uh, you know, we just it's there is space for all sorts my only real gripe is that sometimes you see people um, uh, kind of proclaiming themselves as as documentary wedding photographers. Well, they're not. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's hard. You know, it's not really for us to say they're not. I don't think, but it's a little bit disingenuous when you know you the. You, you search for documentary wedding photography, you find a link in Google, and then it, you know you click on the um, the link, and it's you know clearly might as well might be very very beautiful, fine art, staged, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it's not documentary photography, mm. and that's you know we've talked about this before, isn't it? It's like having a shop that says we sell apples outside, but actually they only sell oranges. It's you know still fruit at the how, end of the day. How's it changed though from 1986? Generally, do you think wedding wedding photography is as a genre? I mean, at 86 we would still have been in that time where where wedding photographers were doing two three gigs a day because they would turn up do the church shots do the shots outside the church then whoop off to the next one yeah exactly and and it, it was very different then of course because the technology was different using film the prices uh, the, the the price point of editing of course was a, was a lot greater couldn't just simply take two thousand pictures on a wedding day so yeah the in many ways in fact I 100% believe this that good wedding photography in in those days is much would have been much harder to do than it is now for sure. Yeah. But the technology we have now and the um, uh, the affordability of it all means that perhaps we are a little bit more creative, um, I guess. And, and 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 you know I think that's probably what's born these different genres, these different styles of wedding photography, which is great because. Mm. 
you know, if you do want to have a picture of yourself dragging your, your no wife up a mountain somewhere, a tiny little picture of you <laughs> on, the, on the top one. of this massive mountain, then you can have that. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. That is one of my pet hates, is I have it? to say. And I'm sorry for everybody. They, they, they do look beautiful. I get it. I do let it, get it. It doesn't really it doesn't talking about the ti- wedding day to me, though. Are you talking about the tiny shots of people in the huge vistas? Are those kind of shots? Not so much those, because I, I, I also understand that sometimes people get married near a huge vista because yeah. they want to have that, that thing. The landscape. What I, yeah. the landscape what I don't really understand is why you would want a teeny 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 your teeny teeny people in the corner right. and the man looks like he's dragging her up the hill just every time I see that picture now I'm just going to think of <laughs> it's going to take you a while to get over this isn't it Kev I'm never going to get over him no and um, yeah he had a second part to this question so did Mike I had some nieces and nephews get married over the last uh, over the past seven years, and when I look at their wedding photos, I'm absolutely aghast at the quality of the work that was produced. Underexposed, no edge patrolling, trying to use an on-camera flash from 30 metres away outside at dusk. I have to bite my tongue. I just suppose that's a question that's more a comment. When, uh, although I will ask the question, though, Kev, on, on this one. Have you, have you ever been showed a, a, a wedding book? Um, now, ob- obviously, I'm I'm sure it works the other way around, where we may have may have made a picture, and somebody else may not completely appreciate our, our approach to it. But have you ever um, seen a, a wedding book, Kev, where someone said, "Well, Kev, you're a wedding photographer. Look at this. What do you think of this?" And you look at it and you think, "Oh my God, look at this. What do you say?" Um. Well, yeah. I mean, it has happened, but you know, I'm never unless it's picture of two teeny people on a mountain being dragged <laughs> up a hill <laughs> i'll always be very diplomatic but yeah. honestly in in most cases when people show me their their wedding albums you know i take a hint i take my my tea from them really because yeah. if they're if they love their wedding pictures yeah because it's it's their wedding then that's all that matters you know it doesn't matter what whether i think it's you know, appropriate, different styles, black and white, colour, you know, soft focus, white, blurry, whatever. Doesn't doesn't really matter. As long as they're happy, then that's that's the key thing. So I would just say, oh, yeah, they're great, beautiful. Unless. It's a person being dragged up a hill. Well, I was, gonna, I was just about to say, that's very, very diplomatic of you, Kev. Well done. Ding, you've passed. You may join the government. <laughs> oh, well, You're in. There's a woman outside. <laughs> oh, Kev, stop. You'll get us in I'm trouble. Off. We'll get us in trouble. Have we got time for one more uh, Facebooky one, or have we done everything this week? Do you think? Uh, should, should we call the me- should we call the meeting to a close? Yeah, I think so. Before yes. I get into too much trouble. <laughs> yeah, Pro- probably best. Um, well, we do need some more questions actually, because um, we're running a little bit. Uh, it's a summertime thinness thing, isn't it? Really, it always happens summertime. Um, where, where we could do with a, a few questions, a few thoughts. Um, just send them in. So there's two ways to do it. Number one, you can send them to the email address, which is click at fujicast.co.uk. Or you can go inside the Facebook post, uh, Facebook page rather, or group. Now that I've managed to... Um, <laughs> I didn't realise that thing with the, with the announcements thing. Now, but now the announcement is properly at the top again. Um, you can leave the questions there, can't you, Kev? Are we running out there as well? Uh, there's still a few to get through, but yes, absolutely. We always need more. Yeah. More the merrier. So send them in there. Right. Um, are you doing any more hip-hop stuff that we should be aware of? No, just doing back to back to country. I've got a bit of uh, Pamers and the Wurzels on today. Pamers? Yeah, I'm doing a poetry session. 
Are you? Oh, well, I'm going to start with a poetry session. Was that inspired? Pam Ayres. Yeah. Do you remember well, Pam I do remember Pam Ayres. She had her own television show, didn't she? She did. She's wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Is she, is she still with us then, Pam Ayres? Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah. And what about Sticking the wor- West Country drinking cider with the Wurzels? <laughs> with the Wurzels, probably, yes. Yeah. The Wurzels. If you're American, by the way, or, or in fact, it doesn't have to just be in America, anywhere outside the UK, um, go Google the Wurzels. Then you'll have a very different feeling that to, well, you might already actually, about people that live in the UK. Oh, um, he's a cider drinker. He's a cider drinker. Yeah, that was the big the big hit, wasn't it? I've got a brand new uh, combine harvester. I, yeah, that's it. I've got I'll a brand new combine harvester. Yeah. Right, so send your questions in. Uh, thank you uh, to our guest today, Michael Beecham. Music is from Blue Wednesday. Supporting music from the incredible artlist.io. The links will be on the show page as ever. And we will see you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Fuji Cast is an independent loading zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.com. Co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.